Well, let me invite you to uh, open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 13 this morning. And we'll be looking at verses 42 through 47 of Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. And they've arrived to at uh, Pisidian Antioch, which is about in the middle of modern-day Turkey. Uh, They've gone into a synagogue where there are both Jews and God-fearing Greeks or Gentiles in the synagogue. And the Apostle Paul preaches his first recorded sermon uh, uh, that uh, Luke records. And in this sermon, we saw last week that Paul surveyed Israel's history, basically from the patriarchs to the monarchy. And once he gets to David, King David, he makes a beeline to the son of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He then preaches to them about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, quoting three Old Testament passages to substantiate the resurrection of our Lord. And then he makes application by exhorting them to believe and that if they believe and everyone who believes will receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of righteousness from God Himself. And they could be set free from all the things they were in bondage to under the law of Moses. And he says that all of this is God's gift to those who simply believe. And then Paul ends by warning them that if they reject his gospel, then they will face the coming judgment of God. Quoting from Habakkuk chapter 1. So we pick it up now in verse 42 of Acts chapter 13. And as I read from verse 42 down through verse 47, uh, please give careful attention to the reading of God's holy word. Verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. And now he's going to quote again from the book of Isaiah. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And may God bless the reading of His Word. Well, so what we're looking at is this incredible sermon that Paul preached to this mixed group of Jews and God-fearing 
uh, Greeks that are there in the synagogue, that there's a number of responses that are made. And there's always going to be responses to the gospel. And uh, here we're going to see the response of the people in general in verse 42 through 44. And then we're going to look at uh, how the Jews respond negatively and get filled with jealousy when they see this incredible crowd that has gathered the following Sabbath. So notice uh, in verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the following Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God, which suggests that some of them had come to faith. They discern that, so they're telling them to continue in the grace of God. So the initial response was certainly very favorable. There were some apparent conversions, both among the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles that were there. And let me kind of break down some of the terminology here uh, because we see again in verse 43 this reference to God-fearing proselytes. And there are several expressions that we find in this, uh, this whole section, this time when they're in the uh, synagogue. And the first group is called God-fearers. And we saw that back in verse 16. They were in the synagogue. Verse 16 and also verse 26 describes them as being those who fear God. Gentiles who fear God. Now this group of Gentiles, Cornelius would be another example of this category of God-fearing Gentiles, are Gentiles who have adopted certain Jewish customs and practices. In other words, they have renounced pagan idolatry. They have come to worship the God of Israel. They pray to the God of Israel. They attend synagogue services. Uh, They uh, observe the Sabbath. They give alms. They observe the various uh, food laws. But they fall short of becoming full proselytes to Judaism by their unwillingness to submit to Jewish circumcision. So they become the God-fearing proselytes. They're not full proselytes yet because these are guys, these are men that they'll say, okay, I'll go so far, but not that far. So they only go so far. So the Jewish attitude towards this group would would vary depending upon where you're at. Some would say that... um, They're still totally lost because they haven't submitted to the rite of circumcision. Others may be a little more gracious and saying, okay, if you do everything else and keep all the other laws, but you come short, you you refuse to be circumcised, you'll still make it into into the world to come, but you're going to be down in the basement. You're going to be in some backroom closet. And but... As we're going to know later on, there's going to be a group of Jews that come in and they're going to make the case to this, these same people that look, unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. And that's going to evoke this whole Jerusalem council that we'll get into later on in chapter 15. But these are the God-fearing proselytes or the God-fearing Gentiles. 
And then you have proselytes. When that word is just used by itself, this would be Gentiles who have fully converted to Judaism, including circumcision. But in verse 43, we have God-fearing proselytes. And this is the only time these two phrases are kind of merged together. But in the context, it seems clear that these are the God-fearers. They're the, uh, the NIV, the ESV say devout converse to Judaism, but, or devout proselytes, but really they probably have not fully submitted to circumcision. So they're still incomplete converts to Judaism. That's probably the group that's talking about here that have been referred to back in verse 16 and 26 as just God-fearers. Probably the same people would be my guess. So now we read in verse 44 that the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembles to hear the word of the Lord. So apparently a lot of these guys were going out through the city talking about what Paul had preached on the the week before and they had stirred up a great interest in what the apostle had talked about. So there's a great assembly that's gathering on the following Sabbath And again, nearly the whole city assembled. Now, I think Luke is speaking broadly here in general terms. Uh, Probably at this time, Antioch, Pisidian had a population of around 50,000 people, including the suburbs. Uh, Excavations have revealed a theater, a Roman theater large enough to hold about 5,000 people. So this is a significant sized city. And there would have been a tremendous number of pagan Gentiles uh, probably that are coming to hear more about the, the gospel that Paul is preaching. Now, amazing, this is all without social media. And today, you know, if you want to build a movement or build a crowd, you've got to use social media. There was none of that back then. So it's just word of mouth. Uh, the believers who had believed the week before or even some of the unbelievers were probably talking about people, about this new man who showed up at their synagogue last Saturday and he preached a different message. So it was drawing a great big huge crowd. Now why were they coming? Well, if you look at verse 44, they assembled to hear the word of the Lord. They weren't coming because they were offering a free potluck dinner to everybody. They weren't coming because of a world-class singer or a puppet show or a drama. They were coming to hear the Word of the Lord. They were coming to learn more about the message that Paul had preached that we looked at uh, last week. Now, a big crowd doesn't always mean that you're doing things right. There's some big churches today, thank God, that are faithful to the Word, but there's a lot of big churches that are not. And in fact, um, uh, a dear brother, Ray Fuller, who used to be a member of this church, now with the Lord for many, many years, would drive by some of these big mega churches on his way to church, and, and instead of asking himself, I wonder what they're doing right, he would say, I wonder what they're doing wrong. Because they're able to draw a big, huge crowd because so many people want to go to church because of a worldly gospel that they're preaching or whatever. Paul's preaching the true gospel. And the Spirit of God is at work and a big crowd has been drawn to learn more about it. 
So we read in verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. So notice that now the Jews, the ones who did not believe, saw this big crowd of people show up, mostly probably Gentiles, and they become very jealous. Now, jealous, you can be jealous for different reasons. One of the reasons for being jealous is that uh, Paul and Barnabas have drawn uh, a huge crowd that they were never able to draw. They were successful in, in creating interest and getting all these Gentiles to come and hear their message. So it could be jealousy over the size of the crowd that was showing up. But there's another reason, and that is a jealousy where someone is fiercely protective or vigilant of one's rights or possessions. In other words, someone can be jealous of their authority. In other words, they become fiercely protective and vigilant over what they have, and they don't want to share it. They don't want to give it out. They want to possess it. And probably both of these kinds of jealousies are involved, would be my guess. Because what caused their jealousy? They saw the crowd. But why was the crowd coming? To hear the word of the Lord. So they were wanting to hear the gospel that Paul had preached. So the gospel, realized, was something that the Jews would have taken as a threat. Because basically what Paul was saying is that you can come and receive the forgiveness of your sins, which was a new covenant promise made to Israel. You can come and receive the gift of righteousness, which is also a part of their covenant promise. And you can come to know the true God of Israel without being circumcised. Without keeping the law of Moses. It's to everyone who believes. Look back, if you will, at verse 38 of the same chapter. This is, this is Paul concluding his message the week before. And in verse 38 he says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him, that is through their Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through Him, Christ again, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. And as I pointed out last week, that word for freed in the Greek literally means to be declared righteous, which is what justification does. And that's one of the things that God promised to Israel that He would give them the gift of righteousness. You can find that in the, in the prophets. So it was this message that was appealing to all these Gentiles. And it was this message that would have offended the Jews. Because what Paul in effect is saying is that you Gentiles can now receive the blessings promised to Israel without becoming a Jew. So that, verse 39, everyone who believes receives this. Now already the Jews would have looked upon that with great jealousy. 
What? You're taking our covenant blessings and you're saying that these Gentiles can have them without keeping the law of Moses? Without being circumcised? You're giving away the store, Paul, for free. And they would have taken offense at the message that was drawing the big crowd. So they could have been jealous both of the crowd and the size, but also the crowd was coming to hear the word of the Lord. And it was the message, the gospel, that became a stumbling block to them that Paul will say in other places. So it was the freeness of salvation that drew these crowds. Here's a Jew at the synagogue that's talking that everyone who simply believes can receive Israel's blessings, the forgiveness of sins, the the freedom from the condemnation of the law, the righteousness of God. And all of that without becoming a full-fledged Jew, without having to submit to circumcision. And so again, you can, you can feel the tension that would have occurred and existed there in the synagogue. You see, Israel's blessings and salvation without circumcision in the Jewish mind was heresy. They would have thought that Paul was tearing down the traditions handed down to them. That he was undermining the law of Moses. That he was trying to steal their, their sheep with a cheap gospel. That's the way they would have viewed this. And they would have been enraged to think that God would accept Gentiles just as they were without them first becoming Jews. Paul was betraying their Jewish heritage. Paul was contradicting Moses and the law. Paul is guilty of high treason in their mind. And that's why they respond the way they do. Not only with jealousy, but also as we read on in verse 45, they began to contradict the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Oh, it's not free. You've got to keep the law of Moses. You've got to be circumcised. So they would have been contradicting the freeness of the gospel that Paul was preaching. Now this aspect of jealousy actually is a part of God's plan for Israel. I want you to turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And in Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11, Paul has been developing the case of divine election. And that within the the outward nation of Israel, that there is a remnant, an elect number of Jews within the nation to whom the covenant blessings will come. The rest will be hardened through their unbelief. We see this in chapter 11, verse 5. Paul says, in the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant He's talking about a remnant among the Jews, a remnant among Israel, according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. So the majority of the Jews were not obtaining 
the gift of salvation because they were trying to do it by the works of the law. But, verse 7, those who were chosen obtained it and the rest were hardened. And then drop down to verse 11. I say then, they did not stumble as to fall did they. May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. So again, Paul is emphasizing that within the purpose of God, God has offered this grace to the Jews. They've rejected it. And they've been hardened. The remnant has received it. But the Gentiles are now receiving it. And the Gentiles receiving their blessings makes them jealous. Now, sadly, the jealousy is going to be poured out in wrath and anger and persecution most of the time. But the jealousy will actually be used to save more of the remnant. And so we read this as we keep uh, reading down. Look at verse uh, 13. But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, and as much then as I'm an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is a reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But, and then notice verse 17. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them, and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches." Well, what he's saying in verse 17, I think, is very, very powerful. He's saying if some of the branches were broken off, that is, if some of the Jews who were presented with their covenant Messiah, promised to them throughout the Old Testament, and the blessings that he brings with him, if they refuse to submit to him and reject him, then they will be broken off the olive tree. If some of the branches were broken off, that would be the unbelieving Jews, were broken off the olive tree. They were separated and cast off of the tree, broken off, discarded. And you, Paul is now addressing the you, refers to the Gentiles, being a wild olive, that is from a Different olive tree, a wild one that's uncultivated, unfruitful, outside of the covenant garden. And you being a wild olive were grafted in among them, that is among the believing Jews, and become partaker with them, that is the believing Jew, of what? The rich root of the olive tree. The rich root of the olive tree. So what Paul understands is going on here is that there's only one olive tree. And the unbelieving Jews who rejected their Messiah are pruned off. They are broken off and discarded. Believing Gentiles, however, are grafted into that tree. So now you have believing Jews and believing Gentiles are now a part of that one olive tree so that even 
Gentiles who come to faith partake with the Jews who believe of the rich root of the olive tree. Now, the olive tree is a a familiar uh, figure for Israel in covenant with God. You can go back and find Jeremiah and Hosea refer to the nation of Israel as God's olive tree. But notice when a Gentile believes, he is grafted into that tree and partakes of the rich root of the olive tree. The very foundation of that covenant nation, they now are grafted into. The rich root of the olive tree would refer to to Christ the Messiah being offered to them through all the historical covenants. Through Abraham, through Moses, through David, through the new covenant. They now are grafted in and partake with the believing Jews of the rich root of the olive tree. Not two separate trees. Israel over here and the church. But one covenant tree. Now, this to me is a, is a very significant observation that Paul is making here. And I think what it's clearly indicating, which would have offended the Jews, is that these Gentiles are now grafted in, participating in their covenant blessings of the New Covenant, of the Abrahamic Covenant, of the Davidic Covenant, without becoming full-fledged, card-carrying Jews. Without circumcision without the need of keeping the law of Moses, these believing Gentiles now get the blessings without having to become a Jew. And again, the Jew, that was blasphemy in their eyes. And so you go back to Acts chapter 13, and that's exactly what they begin to do in verse 45. They're so full of jealousy that their covenant blessings are now being given to these Gentiles without them being circumcised that they become jealous and they begin to contradict the things spoken by Paul. Paul, you're wrong. It's not open to everyone who believes. These Greeks, these Gentiles, they've got to be circumcised. They've got to keep the law of Moses. So they began to contradict the freeness of the gospel that Paul was preaching. And then at the end of verse 45, they were blaspheming. That is, they were saying Christ is not Messiah. He's not the Son of God. That's all wrong, Paul. You're preaching a a false Christ. So they were contradicting because it offended them. It was an attack against their religion. And they were also blaspheming because of the the very nature of the Gospel is open to everybody based on faith and faith alone. Not based on your works. Not based on keeping the law of Moses. Not based on keeping the dietary laws or the ceremonial laws or submitting to circumcision. It's open to anybody who believes. And that is what so provoked the Jews to anger and jealousy. And that's why they were blaspheming. So again, in their view, Paul, you're giving away the store for nothing. You're preaching a false gospel that in the Jewish mind was anathema. And that's why it became their stumbling block. They stumbled over it. Because in their mind, you have to become a Jew before you can 
know the, the God of Israel. Now, Paul responds, Paul and Barnabas, verse 46. Notice they spoke out boldly. They're not intimidated by the opposition. They're not in any way uh, turned into cowards. No, they speak out boldly. Because this is the truth of Scripture. Even when people don't like it, and even when people don't want to listen to it, this is the truth of Scripture. And they're committed to proclaiming it. So they speak out boldly, verse 46, and said it was necessary that the Word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. So notice he says, it is necessary for us to preach to you first. Salvation is of the Jew. Jesus tells us that in John 4. Paul was a Jew. Paul loved his fellow countrymen. He loved the Jews. In Romans 9 and 10, he pours out his heart about how he longs that Jews be saved and come to know the Lord. His heart is with them. He said, I myself would be accursed if they would but repent and come. Uh, The Great Commission started with the Jews. It didn't end there, but it certainly began in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. So it was necessary to bring the gospel to them first. But, he says in verse 46, you have repudiated it. In other words, you've rejected it. You have contradicted it. You have blasphemed it. And on top of that, verse 46, you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. That is, by rejecting their own promised covenant Messiah, they have unwittingly disqualified themselves from that covenant salvation from their Messiah. They have forfeited their place in God's household. That's why they're broken off the tree and cast aside. They have forfeited their place in God's household. And God has cut them off from their covenant blessings and even divinely hardened them. We read in Romans chapter 11 and giving their blessings to Gentiles who believe. And that's why Paul concludes in verse 46, based on your rejection... We are turning to the Gentiles with this gospel of salvation. Now, it's interesting at this point how he uh, authenticates and argues and defends his calling to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he does not refer to his own supernatural call on the road to Damascus, where Jesus appeared to him and said, I've appointed you to be a witness for me to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the peoples of Israel. He didn't refer to that because he's wanting to try to base everything purely on Scripture as he's been doing in his sermon the week before. And so that's what he does again in verse 47. For the Lord has commanded us. Now, he doesn't refer again to his personal testimony because there's a higher standard that they should accept 
These Jews should accept it. It comes right out of their Scripture. Right out of the book of Isaiah. Chapter 49, verse 6. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And so Paul quotes from Isaiah. And uh, he says, this is what we have been commanded to do. We have been commanded to be a light for the Gentiles so that God's salvation can go to the end of the earth. Now what's interesting, if you look at your quotation in verse 47, in my Bible, the word you has a capital Y on the front. Now yours may or not be indicated that way, but that's very appropriate because the you in the context of Isaiah 49 is actually the Messiah. God is talking to the Messiah. And He's pointing to the Messiah as the light to the nations who would bring salvation to the end of the earth. Now, the Messiah, of course, at this point is exalted in heaven, but He's still doing the work. This is the work of, of Christ in heaven through His apostles. So that's the connection. So Paul understands that they are basically the voice of Christ. They're carrying the message of Christ. Christ is the light of the world. Remember John 8. But because we are in Christ and Christ is in us, we are the light of the world also. And so we carry that light of Christ so that the salvation may go to the end of the earth. Isaiah 49.6 that Paul quotes here is uh, often been called the Great Commission of the Old Testament. To take the light of salvation to the end of the earth. Well, Israel never caught that vision, sadly. Even though, throughout the Old Testament, God clearly indicated to them that the Gentiles would one day share in these blessings. Even to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God told Abraham, In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In chapter 17, verse 4, God again told Abraham, you will be a father of a multitude of nations. And it's interesting that now Peter calls the church in 1 Peter 2.9, a chosen race, a holy nation. Not referring to the nation of Israel, but now to the church made up of believing Jews and Gentiles. We are now the chosen nation, the holy race. Isaiah 56, verse 7, God says, My house will be called a house of prayer for who? You remember? All the peoples. All the peoples. Not just the nation of Israel. My house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Which implies that all the peoples are going to come in and worship and be a part of that uh, great worshiping community. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 11, God promises that many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. So throughout the Old Testament, God clearly indicated that there would be a time in the future when He would do a great work. And the unbelieving Jews would be judged. Believing Gentiles would be grafted into that one covenant olive tree. And they would participate in those incredible blessings. And 
And Paul, later on, when he writes his letter to the Galatians, to this church and the other churches that he'll, he'll move on to after he leaves Antioch here, he will drill down on this point. He'll drill down deep. He'll remind them, as he writes Galatians, to these churches that are made up of Jews and Gentiles, what he says here, what, he, what he's indicated here. For example, in Galatians 3, 7, he says, be sure that it is those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So by faith, you now become a son of Abraham. You're in the covenant. You're a child of Abraham. Not by becoming a Jew, not by submitting to circumcision and all that, but by faith. Those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Same chapter, Galatians 3, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. So not only now you Gentiles who believe in Christ without becoming a Jew, not only are you a son of Abraham, but you're an heir. Means you will inherit all of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. You're an heir, verse 29. Same thing he said, writes to the Ephesians. He says that the mystery of Christ is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That is, they're fellow heirs with the believing Jews, fellow members with the believing Jews, fellow partakers of the promise with the believing Jews. And in Romans 2, he again emphasizes the same truth that a Jew is one who is one inwardly and circumcision is of the heart by the Spirit, not of the flesh. So the Apostle Paul is preaching really a, a revolutionary gospel that the Jews hated. It, it threatened their security. It threatened their history in their mind. They didn't understand it. They thought that in all of this that Paul was bringing in a contrary gospel to what you find in the Old Testament. But this is what the Messiah came to do. He came not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And this is the glory of the gospel that we can't miss in this passage. That the Jewish Messiah came to save all kinds of men both Jews and Gentiles, but freely by faith alone. There's no need to become a Jew first. Now when you hear that, look at verse 48, just to let you see how the Gentiles are going to react. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the Word of the Lord. Well, of course they would. I mean, now they're getting the blessings without having to be circumcised. Now, any man, that would be a happy tune. That would be something you would rejoice in. So they got excited. They began rejoicing and glorifying the Word of the Lord. The preciousness of the free offer of the Gospel. That it's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is now open to everybody. And you do not have to become a Jew. You don't have to become circumcised or keep the law. It's to whoever believes the gospel shall be saved. Now let me say, it's, it's, it's hard for me to understand the jealousy of the Jews 
if Paul believed in two separate peoples of God. That Israel, who had her covenants and her promises, and the church as a separate and distinct people of God that has separate covenants, separate promises. If that's the case, Paul could have easily clarified the jealousy that the Jews would have had. He could have easily said something like this. He said, well, don't, no, you Jews, you're misunderstanding. You see, the Gentiles are coming to faith. They're not actually participating in your covenant blessings. See, they have a different covenant, different promises, different blessings. No, your, your covenants and your promises are still unique to you. They're exclusively yours. Uh, they're still yours in, in full. Gentiles aren't going to come in and take any of that from you. Uh, but yours have just been postponed for an indefinite period of time. If he believed that, then I have a hard time understanding the nature of the jealousy and why it erupted in such anger as it did. The only way it makes, let me put this, it makes better sense to me that the jealousy was because the believing Gentiles are being grafted into and participating in their covenant blessings. Otherwise, I don't see the nature and the viciousness of the... uh, response, the blasphemy, the contradiction that we see in this passage. And then just quickly drop down to verse 50. But the Jews, because of their jealousy, because of their anger, their blasphemy, that Paul was giving away their blessings to Gentiles without them being circumcised. In verse 50, but the Jews incited the devout women of prominence. These would be the Gentile women of prominence and the leading men of the city, and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet and protest against them, and went to Iconium. So here we find that the Jews are so upset with the gospel, it was so free to Gentiles, without them having to become Jews, that was such a threat to them that they formed and brought in all these unbelieving Gentiles and they formed a big persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. Paul and Barnabas, verse 51, they shake the dust off their feet which Jesus told them to do. Even when you go into the city of the Jews and they don't receive you, kick the dust off your feet. And that was a sign of rejection and condemnation for them. Um, the leading Jews had rejected the gospel. The leading Gentiles mentioned here had also rejected the gospel. So the apostles rejected them. Even to the point of wanting to have no contact with them, symbolically indicated by even kicking the dust off their feet. It was said that the Jews, whenever they traveled around in Gentile countries and came back into Israel, the first thing they would do is stop and kick the dust of those nations off their feet uh, because they didn't want to be contaminated or bring that contamination into their land. And uh, I think in part also Jesus told His disciples not to give what is holy to the dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them underfoot and turn and tear you into pieces. So basically they're just moving on. But there was a, a large number who had come to faith 
of both Jews and Gentiles. And uh, it's time for them to move on and preach the gospel in the next city, which is Iconium. So in summary, what we see in this passage is really, again, the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that any sinner who is convicted of their sin can have forgiveness. You can have complete and total forgiveness of all of your sins. That you can be given as a gift God's righteousness. A righteousness that you could never earn or develop on your own trying to keep the law of God. Because all the law of God does is it exposes your sin and then condemns you for being a lawbreaker. You could never be righteous in God's sight by yourself. But we need a righteousness to get to heaven. And God provides that righteousness to every believer by giving us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. So you can have forgiveness of all of your sins. You can have the gift of righteousness which qualifies you to enter into the presence of a righteous and holy God merely on the basis of faith. Faith alone. There's, you don't have to jump through anybody's hoops. You don't have to keep a bunch of laws. Just come with a humble heart confessing your sins Believing in the Lord Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And the very nature of your faith by the grace of God is a transforming faith that will change your life when you truly believe in Christ. And this is given freely. Freely to anybody who wants it. And I've always loved that passage in Revelation 5 when there's a, a scene in heaven and there's a little book that's, that's been found. And the, the angels are asking, who's worthy to open the book? And no one is found who's worthy to open the book. And there's a sadness until the Lamb of God says He can open the book with the seven seals. And then it goes on to say that the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's the freeness of the Gospel. But for the Jews, no, the only way is to heaven is you've got to keep the ceremonial law of Moses and you've got to be circumcised. But the Gospel says you don't need any of that. Come to Christ. Confess your sins. Repent of your sins. Come to the Lamb of God. Because He shed His blood to save sinners. All kinds of sinners. No matter how great their sins. But to save sinners from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So that Christ came to save His people from their sins. But His people include His sheep from the fold of Israel. And as Jesus says in John 10, I have other sheep which are not of this Jewish fold. And they will hear My voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. Believing Jews, Believing Gentiles, 
one flock, one olive tree, following one shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. This is a gift that we have to celebrate today. This is the gift that a world dying in sin needs to hear. So who will you start praying for? Your unbelieving friend who needs to hear the good news of the gospel that Paul preached that is totally free. It's by grace alone. It's a gift to everyone who believes. And may God give us that grace to stand on that gospel and proclaim it to the end of the earth. May God help us to do that. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we thank You for the boldness of Paul and Barnabas, for their love for Christ, their desire to preach the free grace of God in the Gospel of Christ. And Lord, we pray that You would bless us with that same desire to support missions and evangelism and to pray for the lost within within our own spheres of influence, that the Spirit of God might come and do a mighty work as He did here in, in Pisidian Antioch, to open the hearts of both Jews and Gentiles, that they might come and find the free gift of forgiveness and the righteousness of God based on faith and faith alone. Thank You, Lord, for such a gift. Fill our hearts with the joy of our own salvation and the desire to share it with others, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.